Good morning. How are we doing? We doing good? Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, like Jeremy said, I do have another scripture for you today uh, that is a wall-related scripture, and it is a, uh, also a scripture that has somebody in a situation with their back up against a proverbial wall, right? Um, and so uh, as we get into the scripture, we're going to go to Luke chapter 7. Um, and before we do that, uh, let's do a little bit of gra- background work because Luke 7 verse 11 starts with soon afterward. So that means that something happened before that. And so what happened before that is that uh, Jesus has been doing uh, lots of ministry. He's been doing some teaching. Um, and uh, there is, you know, some, some ground being gained, I guess, in terms of like people knowing about him and who he is and all that kind of thing. Um, so word is spreading. And so right before this, um, Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. And uh, in Capernaum, he ends up healing the slave or the servant of a centurion, the Roman soldier. So you might be familiar with that story. Um, and it's a pretty amazing thing because Jesus never really even interacts with the centurion. The guy sends representatives to him, and then he sends some more representatives to him and saying, listen, um, my, my, my servant is sick and he needs healing. He needs you. And Jesus when the second kind of group comes to him, he ends up saying, listen, I've not seen any faith like this, even in all of Israel, I've not seen this kind of faith. Um, and so he tells, sends the servants home, and, or sends the, the other representatives home, and by the time they get back, the servant is up and he's well and he's healed, and it's a pretty amazing story. Um, and so Jesus never sees him. He never speaks to the guy who asks for help. He never touches anybody. He just, it, it does it, right? It happens. It's, an, it's an, a pretty impossible miracle. Um, and so Jesus is doing incredible things. And these are miracles. And these are, what I just said, impossible things, right? Impossible things. That's an important term for us this morning um, as we get into this. So people are starting to take notice. And uh, Jesus just continues to interact with people. Um, And so this morning, we're going to go to Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. It's not a very long scripture. Um, And and yeah, so let's just read it. So Luke 7 verse 11 says this. Soon afterward, soon after Jesus heals this servant of a centurion, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the city gate, or the gate of the city, so this is where the wall is, right? As he approached... Uh, the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said to her, do not go on weeping. And he came up and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother, Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has appeared among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout Judea and throughout, oh, and all the surrounding region. So it's a pretty short story, right? Pretty short account. Um, And I don't think this gets talked about very much. I don't know why. It's a story of the resurrection of the dead. Maybe it's because the other stories we have of Jesus raising people from the dead have a little more detail involved in them. Um, and, or maybe you've heard 20 million sermons on this already, and I just missed them somehow. Um, but 
immediately I think of Lazarus, obviously, right? Lazarus is a, is a resurrection story. Lazarus has been dead a long time. Jesus heals him. I think of the, the little girl that Jesus raises from the dead, who when he shows up at the house, they're like, oh, don't bother. She's, sleep, or she's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's sleeping. And they just laugh at him, right? Um, you can think of all those things. And and so we, we've got other stories of the resurrection, and, and this, again, is another one of those stories. But just pause for a second and think about this, all right? Think about what we're talking about. I'm up here very casually telling you a story of a person who was dead that at the time that this happened was then no longer dead, Right? Like, it's just a very casual thing. It's very normal for us to tell these stories or talk about these stories in church. But process it for a second. Like, do you really believe this possible? Do you really believe these are legitimate accounts of actual events? We talk about them in church all the time. I actually was at a basketball game yesterday, and uh, there's a, they, it was at First Baptist Church in Lawrenceburg, and the halftime, they do a halftime devotion, and the halftime devotion was Lazarus, Jesus interacting with Lazarus, right? And him telling Martha, I am the resurrection or, and the life, right? So we talk about them all the time, but do you really buy it? Be honest, because if I walked up to you outside of church and I said, hey, the most incredible thing happened. I saw it happen yesterday. I was at a funeral. We were on, or we were, I was at the visitation, and then we all got in our cars. We were headed out to the cemetery for the burial, because that's what's happening with this woman, right? They're going to bury her son. And I, 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 was, I was kind of along with, with the train of cars. We stopped at a stop sign. There happened to be a guy standing on the corner. He kind of sees what's going on. He knocks on the window of the hearse, and he says, um, get up. And the guy in the hearse sits up in the coffin, out of the coffin, right? It was incredible. You should have seen it. I don't even really know what was going on. What's your reaction? Your reaction is like, mm, where was the camera, right? Surely this was some, it was a trick, right? He wasn't really dead. Or at the very least, he was in a coma. I mean, come on. Why? Because it's not possible, right? It is impossible. If there is one thing we know in life, death is death. It's like, it's like the sure thing, right? It happens to us all. Unless Jesus come back, it happens to us all. There has to be some other explanation for what's going on. Because it's not possible. And I think that right there is why these resurrection stories or accounts are critical for us. And they're critical for us to believe because they open our eyes to the possibility that maybe impossible is not so impossible, right? Maybe what we cannot hope to do, God can. With man, it might be impossible. With God, all things are possible, right? That's what Jesus said. So let's look at this story again. Picture it in your mind. Jesus walking towards 
the gate of a city, the gate where everybody enters and exits, right? Jesus is walking towards it, but Jesus is not by himself, is he? He's got his disciples with him. Now, when we say disciples, we typically mean the 12, or that's what is in my brain, right? But when it's the 12, it says the 12, or it's the 12 apostles, or whatever. Those are the, those are the apostles. They're not necessarily the disciples. Jesus had a lot more disciples, at one point, he sends out 72 disciples into the city, right? So there's a lot of people that are with Jesus, following his teachings. There was 12 that were called specifically, but then there's a lot more. So it's Jesus and his disciples. So I don't know, picture a large crowd, right? Not just 12, but more than 12. And then it says that those Jesus and his disciples were also accompanied by a large crowd. We could be talking hundreds of people in this situation because of what just happened in the last city and what he just taught in the last city. Like people are following this dude. People are, are, are fascinated by what he's doing and what he's saying and what is, what is happening with him, okay? So sizable crowd. They're traveling to this city. It's gonna make an impression in that city, right? Nain is not actually a very big town at all. So they're traveling on their way. And it says, as they approach, this crowd approaches the city gate where you have to enter and exit, there's another crowd. There's a man who has died, who's being carried by people, several people, on a pallet in a coffin somehow, accompanied by his mother, who is a woman who has also already lost her husband, She's a widow. Now she's lost her son. And then it says they are accompanied by a large crowd, right? A sizable crowd is also with them. So what you've got is you've got two big crowds getting ready to pass each other, right? You've got Jesus and the crowd following along with Jesus. And you've got the woman and her son and the crowd of mourners with, with them moving along. Um, in the crowd, one group that is getting ready to enter the city, that crowd's all high and excited, right? That crowd is like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I, I want to see it. I'm with this guy, right? I know what just happened back there. Can you believe the things he's saying? Like, this is stirring some people up. I want to be with it. I, wanna, I, don't, I don't know exactly what's happening, but I want to see what's next. Who knows? Anything is possible, right? Anything is possible. It's a very different tone from that crowd to the crowd that is exiting the city. The crowd that's exiting the city, they're not really concerned with what's possible in their lives, right? They're not thinking what's next. They're focused on this loss and what has happened. There's not much thought to what is possible. It's a much different atmosphere in these two crowds that are about to pass each other outside of the city. It's a group that's made up of mourners. And so as these two crowds pass one another, um, Jesus takes notice of the mother. Must be obvious, right? Who is, who is the, the one that's, that's mourning the loss of a son? But Jesus takes notice of her. And I imagine that that 
in that moment, Jesus and this woman kind of lock eyes, and there is a lot of commotion all around them, right? Because there's the excitement. I mean, I don't think they're like dancing and jumping around and hooting and hollering and high-fiving each other or anything. Like, they're traveling, okay? But there is an excitement, and there's a certain, like, you know, there, there's a feeling with this crowd that Jesus is with. But there's also a feeling with the, with the crowd that this woman is with, because when they mourned, they didn't just, they were, it wasn't quiet, right? It was a wailing that happened. And so you can imagine there's a lot of commotion with the woman as she's exiting. There's a lot of commotion with Jesus as, as he's entering. And I see Jesus and this woman lock eyes, okay? Just, it's up, it's up here, right? They just, they just lock eyes in that moment. Everything happening around him, and yet it's just these two. And the scripture says that Jesus felt compassion for her. Felt compassion. The Greek word for, for feeling compassion means he was moved in his bowels, right? Because that was like the seat of love and empathy and sympathy, like the, the, the primary place of motivation. So he felt from within him for this woman. You, you know the feeling that I'm talking about, right? Like you, maybe you don't understand why you're feeling it, but you've seen something, you've interacted with someone, you, whatever, for whatever reason, you're moved from within and it kind of wells up. Like that's, that's, you well up from inside, right? So like there's emotion and Jesus feels this compassion for this woman. And I love this story because of that. Like, you know, he has compassion and, and there's other words that are other stories where you hear he has compassion on somebody or he, he works out of compassion or whatever. But in this moment where this woman is dealing with such loss and such uh, like blank, empty future because she doesn't know what's ahead and, and she's lost her husband and her son who was providing for her is not there anymore. And what's gonna happen, right? He has compassion for this woman. And I love that because it's like he's, he's identifying who's going through it, right? And he reaches out and he touches that situation. And he says to her, do not go on weeping. You don't need to cry anymore, right? The reason for your tears, the loss of your son, you don't need to cry anymore. And I wonder in that moment, What's this woman's impression of this man? We know who Jesus is, but she doesn't know who Jesus is, right? What's her impression of him? Who is he? Like, what does he think he's gonna do about it? Well, who's he to tell me to stop crying? I'm like mourning my son. Why would he tell me to stop crying? And Jesus walks over and he lays his hand on the coffin, presumably to signal, hey, you can stop here for a second. And he spoke to the man that was laying there and he said, young man, get up, arise. What were those seconds like? The seconds in between him speaking to this woman and saying, you don't need to cry anymore. You don't need to weep anymore. You can stop weeping. The seconds in between that, the seconds in between when he puts his hand on the coffin and the people stop and he utters that last word, arise. What are those seconds like? For this woman? Did she hope? Did she have any clue, any reason to hope at all? I don't think there was any hope left, right? She had hoped while he was sick. She had hoped while the doctors were able to help her with some medicine, as limited as that was, right? She had hoped while others prayed for him to get well. The time for hope was over. <laughs> 
She was not looking for what might be possible in this moment. He was gone. But her son's eyes fluttered, or his feeling, or his fingers moved, or a toe twitched. And he rose up. And I imagine Jesus helping this man, whether up from the ground if they've set the thing on the ground, or helping him down from the pallet if they're still carrying it. And it says he gave the man back to his mother. I love that image. Presents him to his mother. I think the atmosphere of the crowd that was exiting the city changed, right? In that moment. Jubilation. Like dancing, celebration, singing, crying, but it's not sorrow any longer. Now it's tears of joy. Now it's tears of like, confusion and disbelief and what just happened can you i can't imagine it right what just happened we were on our way to put this man in a grave seal it that's it now mom's hugging her boy again joy celebration fear the crowd is filled with fear who is this? It's like when Jesus is with the 12 apostles in the boat and the waves are crashing all around or Jesus walks out or Jesus wakes up, whichever version you want to look at, and he tells the waves to stop. The wind and the waves stop and it says they were afraid because who is this that can tell wind to stop and it stops? Fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has appeared among us. God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout all of Judea. Why? Because the impossible just happened, right? They just saw do, Jesus do something that you can't do. And he did it. The impossible just became possible. Jesus, this man, this great prophet, all of a sudden, anything seemed possible because Jesus was there. Can you imagine the sense of awe and, the, and, and confusion and my world doesn't work the way my world used to work? I, I don't understand what this is. And the scripture never tells us what Jesus' response is in these situations. Like, it, you know, he'll interact, it, it records interaction with people, you know, go sin no more, or, or don't tell anybody, or go tell people, or go show yourself to people, you know, the, the, the priests and all those kinds of things. But it doesn't tell us, like, Jesus' emotional response in these situations. But I can imagine Jesus with a, a quiet, still, almost somber demeanor, as he looks on love with this woman who he just gave her son back to her, who he was able to do something for this woman. This, the, 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 with, so when he had compassion, he was able to reunite her with this woman or with, with her son. 
And everybody is around him celebrating and they're dancing and they're taking a step back because, whoa, something's going on with this guy, right? But I don't see Jesus like jumping up and down and dancing and like I see him enjoying the moment and celebrating momentarily with this woman, but I don't see him jumping up and dancing, jumping up and down and dancing and celebrating because he knows the problem isn't fixed. Not yet. He has compassion on this woman in her hour of need. He restores her son to her. He loves her there. He's glad he gets the opportunity to do that for her, but he knows that's temporary. He knows the big problem that he came to fix, to solve so much more than this incident. And so it's this sort of momentary celebration of victory with the people as they're enjoying this moment, but it's also kind of a sadness that this man was raised from the dead, but at this point, for these people, death still rules over them. They're still found in the condition of Adam, despite the healing that's taken place in that moment. And so I just come back to this idea. What did those people in the crowd, because of this incident, what did they believe was possible after they witnessed this? When they went home after all the excitement had died down, what did they now think about their lives? What about the woman who had her son back? The resurrection of the dead is possible, right? This man, Jesus, he did it. He's a prophet like we've never gotten to witness before. We have stories, but we've never gotten this before. We've never seen this. Surely God visited us this day. For other people who interacted with Jesus at other times, saw him perform miracles at other places and who experienced him doing miracles in their lives, after that interaction with Jesus, that one day in their past, what did they understand was possible for their lives going forward? Did that event mean anything else for them besides that one time? I mean, sure, it impacted them if they could walk now and they hadn't walked before, if they could see and, and they couldn't see before. But what did they think about Jesus and what he was gonna do for the rest of their lives. As I'm looking at this story and what we know of how the rest of the big story goes, I'm not really sure that it changed much at all for them. Jesus was a great prophet. Jesus did a great miracle, they saw it. But what from there? The action of Jesus in that moment was probably the limit of what they believed they could get from him. I don't really think there was any sense that what Jesus was doing was anything greater than what they saw him do right then and there. 
There was no sense that he was more than a great teacher or a prophet who could do great miracles. They had stories of this in the past, right? Their, their histories. Elijah raised a boy from the dead. We've got our own. Like we've got a prophet in our time. Ah, oh, this is amazing. But in understanding that he was more, in understanding that he came for more than these miracles and these teachings and these moments of his presence, I don't think they had a sense that he was more. They didn't know more was possible. It topped out at the miracle that they witnessed right then and there. They didn't know more was possible because they didn't know what Jesus really came to do. He came for more than miracles and teaching. Other people did that, right? There were other great prophets who did that. Did Jesus just come to do it better than them? No. I've said this before. I think I've even preached a whole message about this before. But what you believe about what Jesus accomplished dictates what you believe is possible for your life. Take it in for just a second. What you believe, what you understand about what Jesus accomplished dictates or determines how or what you believe is possible for the rest of your life. For these people in the crowd, Jesus came as a great prophet. He was a great teacher. He was a miracle worker, even to the point of resurrecting the dead. For them, he could do it. He saw it happen, right? What an incredible prophet. But what does that mean for the rest of their lives when he's not there doing that? What happens when he leaves town and somebody else gets sick? Do we have to scramble and try and find him so that he can come and he can be there and he can be in the situation and he can heal this person? We gotta convince him somehow to come back to our town and meet us so we can have another miracle in his presence? What you believe Jesus accomplished dictates what you believe is possible for your life. What do you believe is possible for your life? Are you hoping for enough to get by? Are you just hoping that you've got enough forgiveness from Jesus because that's what he accomplished in order for you to get into heaven? What's possible for your life? What has he done? What did Jesus come to do? Did he show people he was powerful and give more specific teachings on how that we could live like not just with the law of Moses, but above the law of Moses? so we could then keep God happy? Did he do some great miracles while he was present on earth so that a few people who interacted with him would know that God's still out there somewhere and God still cares and then we would read about those stories later so then we could believe that that's true? What did he do? What did he come to do? This is a big question. And it determines what you think about your life going forward. Oh, he came for my forgiveness, right? For the forgiveness of my sins. He made the sacrifice on the cross um, so, that, so that I could be forgiven for my sin. Yeah, but forgiveness was possible through the sacrificial system. Yearly forgiveness, right? That's what the Day of Atonement was for. 
Did he just die so we didn't have to do it anymore? We get once, once, and, all, once and for all forgiveness? Jesus didn't come just for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't come to cover them over. He came to blot them out. He came to wipe them away forever. And not just to wipe away our sins, our sinful actions. Not, it's not, he came to do away with sin in us. Gone. Making us righteous. Making us as we were meant to be, as humanity was meant to be in relationship with God, one with God, his spirit in us, us in him. As Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him, us in them, right? This incredible thing that we read about, this miracle that we read about this morning, it's mind-blowing. The dead brought back to life, but it ends with that experience, that thing that he did one time, that's temporary. It's limited by time. It's limited, limited by physical, the physical presence of Jesus. That's not true for us. For these people in this crowd, amazing things were possible when Jesus, the great prophet, was there and they happened to be in the same place as he was. For us, we literally have been fused with the God of the universe for all of eternity in Christ. What Jesus did through the cross and the resurrection was to bring back to life those of us who put our trust in him. He takes us from the spiritual death nature of Adam and raised us to life in the spiritual life nature of Jesus. If you've not been born again in the life of the Spirit, you are still born in the death, the nature of death. The first Adam brought death. Everyone born into that nature, that's everybody, is born into the nature of death. The second man, Jesus, brought life for all those who would be born again, born in, in his Spirit, resurrected into his nature. And that's not a future reality someday for us. It's a reality right now for us. And what is possible for our lives in Christ is not limited by time and space. It's not limited by a weekly fill-up of a spiritual high that I might get on Sunday mornings if things turn out right. Hopefully Jesus will show up and I can get a little more of him. We're not limited by that. This is why I keep coming back to the idea of what you believe about what Jesus accomplished dictates what you believe about what is possible for your life. Because if you just believe that Jesus came to give us eternal life in heaven after we die, but that's about it, what does that mean now, right? What does that have to do with my life for now? He saved me from hell and that's in the future, but do I just try and be good so that I can keep that? And not lose it? If you believe that incredible things are only possible when you have a great Sunday morning experience, what do I do in between? Guess I just am left chasing a spiritual high. But if you believe that you have been made new 
and made right in Christ, and you have been fused with the Father, and that you are in him, and that he is in you always. Anything is possible at any time. You don't have to be in the right place at the right time. You don't have to say the magic words. You don't have to hold your hands in the correct position, right? Anything is possible at any time in every area of your life. There's no such thing as impossible anymore. You're fused with Christ, fused with Christ. This is why this message that I keep preaching of righteous identity in Christ right now by grace alone, this is why it's critical for us to get. It's why I haven't moved on, okay? You're wondering, why does he keep talking about this? This is why, okay? It's why I haven't moved on. Because this is about an actual relationship with the God of the universe. And because with that, nothing is impossible for your life anymore. Everything is on the table. Your finances, your kids, your marriage, your health, your habits, your friendships, your career, your dreams, your education, your hobbies, anything is possible. What you believe about what Jesus was here to do and what he dictates, excuse me, and what he did dictates what you think is possible for your life. Those people knew in the moment when they saw that young man sit up out of his grave, they knew that wherever Jesus was, anything's possible. So was that just back then when Jesus, the man, was physically walking the earth? Or is that still true now for the God who calls you son and daughter? Who of you, though being evil, would give your son a stone when he asks for bread? How much more so for your Father in heaven? That's what Jesus said. Anything is possible. And it doesn't have to happen on a Sunday morning atmosphere where everything is all spiritual. You don't walk out of the store and hope that Jesus might meet you later at the house or show up the next time you come to church again or, or think that, that that one time that he met you, man, that was, in, that was incredible. And so you have to live off of that one experience for the rest of your life, right? I think that's where a lot of us are. We saw God do, do something pretty big in our lives one time. He met us in an incredible year or an incredible way. And that was like five, 10, 30 years ago at this point. But man, that was great. The goodness of God, oh, that was awesome back then. That's not the end of it. Don't live back there. What's God doing now? What is possible for your future and for today because of who you are in Christ? Right now. What we have is not limited by time and space and we'll, or, or one momentary experience or even a weekly momentary experience. Who you are in Christ affects every aspect of your life. Anything is possible. 
in every area of your life. Now, just because anything is possible doesn't mean that everything will happen. But anything is possible, and it means you get to live with the understanding that you're a king's kid. And the king is a righteous father in heaven who is just, who is loving, who is forgiving. Oh, also, he's right here. And you're right there. And you're his son, you're his daughter. It affects every area of your life. It's not just a nice thought to think, oh, I have a new identity. If you really start to think about what identity means and what a new nature means and what a new heart means, it affects absolutely everything for you. There is not an area of your life that is left untouched by you having a new heart. There's not an area of your life that's left untouched by you having a new nature. Now in certain areas of your life, you might still act like you have the old nature, but you don't. Now you get to realize that and you get to start stepping in your new nature, right? But it's every area, it's all consuming, it's all encompassing. We don't have one moment of, oh my goodness, did you see what's possible with Jesus? We have a daily life of, Lord, what are you gonna do? This is a life of expectation. What are you gonna do, Lord? What's gonna happen today? What do you wanna do? Anything is possible in every area of your life because of what he's done in Christ. It has absolutely changed everything for you. But the question is, are you going to go with that? <laughs> the question is, are you going to recognize that and, and live there or not? And I'm not talking about like what's going to happen when we die. I'm talking about our experience right now. We get to live with the hope that anything is possible right now. And we can approach life that way. I'm not saying everything that you want to happen is going to happen because it doesn't, obviously, right? But anything is possible. Anything is possible. So let's, um, let's stand up and let's worship some more. And as we stand, I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray that this isn't just a, a, a couple of, of lines that stick in our head or, or a, a nice story that we once heard or even a, a really powerful story in the Bible. Lord, I pray that it's a reminder that where you are, there is nothing that's off the table. And now we live in the very real presence 100% of the time. That's where we live, in, in your presence 100% of the time, Lord. And where you are, nothing is impossible. Lord, I don't really know what it looks like to live a life like that. 
but I want to try. <laughs> I want to find out. And it's all because of you. It's all because you're, we're, we're your kids. It's all because of what you've done through the cross and the resurrection. We died with you and we're raised to new life. We're new creations. It's changed for us. Or would you walk with us in that? We want to walk with you in it. I want to walk with you in it. Can't speak for everybody. I want to walk with you in it. We love you. Your goodness is, is, is incredible. We love you. Amen.